Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with 19 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net, and uh, we have a link in the top right-hand corner. So have a lot of folks, um, Steve, clients, um, other folks listening to us outside the area. Obviously, 1230 a.m. is the place you would find that on your dial but this link you can kind of be sitting anywhere and listening to us yeah it's a great way to do it you know while you're out vacationing somewhere um you know on a cruise ship maybe with internet access I, that, that's where my mind is today i don't mm-hmm. know why but you know the weather's kind of nice outside so yes it is <laughs> takes me there but uh you know another way great way to listen is the tune in radio app you can download that to your smartphone and you can listen to us while you work around the house jogging just stick it in your pocket put your headphones in and you know, if you get the upgraded version, you can also schedule it to record, which is my favorite way to do it. So, uh, anyway, check us out on our website as well, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. And uh, email us your questions. We would love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lined up today, as usual. Um, you know, we're going to start off with the um, five keys to great financial health. There's only five? There, well, these are the top five, you know, and we've we've given this before. I mean, this is really, though, the this is like the bedrock mm-hmm. of your financial picture right here, okay? I mean, so if you don't, you need to take out a pen and pad if you're listening and write these down and check yourself because this is like a sanity check yeah. on on your financial picture. Are you on track? You know, and these are the five keys, and we're going to share them with yeah. you today. Then, yeah, we're going to unlock our secrets, right? Yeah, that's right. Those are our, our <laughs> hidden secrets. We're going to give you one more time. We've given it to you before, yeah, but yeah. we know you probably weren't listening. So <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going to do that. That's a good one. Yeah, and we're going to follow that up with a, a current event. And it's um, the title of it is Gurus Achieve an Astounding 47 <laughs> percent accuracy rate and what it does there was a, a study that was done of all the news events and predictions yeah and um even the experts out there and we're gonna we're gonna those amazing gurus i love i love listening you can flip to... a coin and do better than them <laughs> you know they're amazing you want to hear this there's I mean, a story in, behind this, this you is... got to work hard to get 47 percent accuracy I, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah some of the names on here will surprise you so stick around for that and then we're going to uh, end with an article uh talking about dfa the mutual fund company that we use how they've done a little bit better than uh, John Bogle, um, who's from uh, uh, Vanguard, right? Um, right. One of the, the the premier names in the industry, and then also another guy named um, Buffet. Is that his name? <laughs> Buffet. Oh, yeah. Buffett. Buffett. Jimmy yeah. Buffett. Buffett. He's... No, Warren Buffett. That's right. We're going to talk a little bit about Warren Buffett and <laughs> right. Um, this is an article right out yeah. of uh, it's, somewhere. It's compared. Um, it's comparing DFA. Uh, you know, looking at Bogle and, and Buffett. So. 
That's good stuff. That'll be good stuff. All right, but we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this source is uh, CBS News. And, uh, you know, Steve, this is going to date us a little bit, but I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, malls were the place to go. Right. They, they were, man. You know, I mean, you could go there and get anything, and you had the food court, and Movies, you had all the happening stuff going on place in the Place to be seen, wasn't it? It was, man. Did yeah. you know the, the, the last new enclosed shopping mall built in the U.S. Um, was constructed back in 2006? Get out of here. Eight years ago? Yeah, eight, eight plus years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. If you think about it, though, there's a lesson in here that, um, you know, when you and I were growing up, you could just go on the Internet and go to Amazon, right? Right, right, right. Well, maybe right. not. Maybe Amazon yeah, wasn't created yeah, that's yet. That's the problem. In the yeah. Internet. So businesses change and evolve, and when we look at you know that the stock market and capitalism and so forth, and you know malls are just not um, physical stores have changed what the what they used to be to today. I mean, you can go on. I know you shop Amazon all the time, right? Yeah, I do, man. I mean, every time I go into a retail store, I'm like, what the crap am I doing here? I could have done this on Amazon, and it would have been so much easier because invariably. I can't get any help. I can't find the products. You know, you get to the checkout line and it's 15 minutes long and then somebody's got to do a price check. Well, that's, that's capitalism. Well, it, you know? it is. And that's, For that's Amazon. That's why the Amazon, I do wish they get the sales tax thing worked yeah, out, right. you know, in, in all the states. But um, still, I mean, it's taken over and these malls has killed them because the malls inherently have high overheads, sure, right? Sure. They make lots of sense. If you live up north, I mean, why wouldn't you want to go to a mall, right? Mm-hmm. It's in, all indoors, and yeah. but it's expensive, Very so expensive. they charge more, and, you know, the Internet has just circumvented malls. Yeah, so this is, I think, the positive thing on this, again, is capitalism. Uh, there's someone out there trying to develop the new widget today as we speak, and that's right. how... That's how America and a lot of these companies work is there's new new inventions, new technologies, and um, it's not surprising that the last one was built back in 06. And, yeah. and it's not necessarily it's not necessarily killing jobs. It's it's redirecting jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. jobs are going to different businesses. You know, now there's more Internet businesses. You know, you can still have your retail store, but you got to have a great Internet presence. Yeah. And, yeah, you can go in the store and look at it, touch it and feel it and, t- and look at it. But you may still order it on the Internet. And if you need a job, go up to North Dakota, right, or South Dakota. That's where they're doing all the oil drilling. Oh, man, I mean, now you're talking. <clears throat> that technology has just created a ton of jobs. Yeah, so, you that's, know, it goes, both, goes both ways. Yeah, <laughs> From what I hear. <laughs> it is. You might want to go to a mall to warm up <laughs> <laughs> if there's still some up there. I'm sure there are. All right, that leads up to our first topic here of the day, and um, that is the five keys to great financial health. Well, John, I mean, I think everybody knows what kind of has an idea of what it means to be in great physical health, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of low cholesterol, good blood pressure, not overweight. I mean, those are the things that pop to my mind. Um, when I think of blood pressure, I think of maybe 120 over 80 comes to mind. Um, cholesterol, maybe 160, certainly less than 200. But what about your financial health? I mean, most people seem to think they're in good physical health, or physical health, uh, they might think they're in good physical health, and maybe they think they're in good financial health, but they don't really understand what that really means, and that's the key here. So we're going to take a look at that. I mean, if you asked how much you should have saved by age 50, would you have any idea? Mm-hmm. You know, um, probably not. Most people don't have a clue how much they should have in savings or retirement by then. You know, what if we asked how much debt you should have left by the time you retire? Um, none would be a good answer. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zilch. But still, most people don't know that. They carry their mortgage into retirement, right? So, you know, how much should you be saving each year if you don't have a pension? Obviously, that would be more than without a pension. Okay, but those are the kind of questions you need to be able to answer yourself. Everyone knows the basics of what makes up good physical health, but they don't have a clue about what makes up good financial health. That's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, you know, Steve, a recent Harvard and Dartmouth um, uh, survey came out, um, and it's interesting. 61% thought they had a reasonable level of debt, and only 31% had any clue how long um, it was going to take to pay off. And so... You know, as I looked wow. at that survey, I mean, that's job security for Dave Ramsey, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, 61%, that's, yeah, I mean, you shouldn't have any Yeah, I any mean, debt. that's right. And, you know, you only 28% it. save 10% or more of their income. So just about a fourth of people are out there saving and have a, a reasonable shot at a similar standard of living. And we get that question all the time. Am I on track? That's how it's asked, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's the problem. I mean, even those with college degrees don't understand the basic financial ideas, according to this Dartmouth uh, professor of economics. And also, the average household has $15,800. It's almost $16,000 in credit card debt. Obviously, they're not in great financial health. Yeah. That's the average household. So, you know, we got to you got to get a handle on what it means to be in good financial health. One time I had a financial planning client that I was helping some years ago who had a major spending problem. And after gathering up her info um, and analyzing the expenses for a few months, I looked over expenses and I was shocked, John. I mean, she had spent $68,000 in one month Ouch. on basically odds and ends. I mean, she did have a nice vacation, but there was no car or other, like, you know, huge long-term purchase in there, <laughs> you know. And, and you know, I figured out that every time she got on the Internet and went shopping, she spent like $5,000. Oh, goodness. So that's what you call a spending <clears throat> problem. She had no idea it was a problem, and, and but she, you know, she knew that. I mean, she she didn't know how big the problem was. She knew she had a problem. She probably should have gone to a mall yeah. instead. It would have taken her a long longer. <laughs> That's right. She couldn't have spent that much that fast, or couldn't have carried it out. <laughs> you know. Um, but anyway, I mean, that's certainly an unusual example. But most people don't know where their money's going. I mean, you know, that's the point. It's like your cholesterol is four fifty, and you have no idea because you've never had it checked. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you just have to have a checkup to find out. You know what kind of health you're in. Um, so there are five basic attributes that we'll talk about when we come back from the break here of what it means to be in good financial health. Um, so take out your pad and pencil and, and get ready to score yourself on these five things. Um, and we'll come right back to these after the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can uh, give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to MoneyMD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the five keys to great financial health. Mm-hmm. Um, John, you know, I mean, everybody. Everybody kind of has an idea what it means to be in great physical health, right? And yeah, we talked about typically. that. Yep. You know, low cholesterol, good blood pressure, not overweight, you know, those kind of things. But almost amazingly, almost no one really understands what it means to be in great financial health. 
You know, I mean, they look at their savings account, and we even we get questions from people that really are in good shape, and they'll ask, "Hey, you know, how am I, you know, compared to other people? Yeah, how right. do I look compared to you know my neighbors and you know the average person my age mm-hmm. that's you know five years from retirement or ten years from retirement? Because they really don't have any idea. There's not a good barometer out there for people. And so what we're giving you today is the five keys. I mean, if you can answer these five things and say yes, you know, to these five questions um, that you have these covered, then there's no doubt you're in good financial health. Yeah, and you're probably on track to hit your retirement goals and, you know, having exactly similar lifestyles so exactly these are good having said that i mean if two or three of these are out of out of whack or even one of these are out of whack i mean you need to question that and you know come see us i mean or just at least put a pencil and pad to it i mm-hmm. mean you need to you need to um start thinking about it so okay so here are the five things for great financial health the first one is your savings rate um you know that's the first key if you're not saving at least 15 percent per year of your gross income, then you may be sick and not even know it. Yeah, that's right. Because um, experience has shown that if you're not saving that much, there's a good chance you're behind for retirement. Yeah, and you're also probably falling behind and accumulating for some other long-term goals as well, like college or maybe paying down debt. And, you know, this obviously sounds like a lot to say, but keep in mind, you know, that can include your match for your 401k and uh, whatever you're saving for shorter term goals, like your your next car as well. Now, I will tell you, Dave is Dave is tough on this one. Dave says to mm-hmm. save fifteen percent and exclude the match associated with it. So yeah. he even ratchets it up, you know, one more. But you know, if you're if you're saving ten percent and your company matches five percent, that's fifteen percent. It's pretty you're good. Gonna, you're going to probably be okay in retirement. I, I think mean, for most people, amount. if you do the math and if you started early. You know, yeah, I mean, if you're 15 and you're just starting, yeah, you're going to need to save more than 15%, sure. including your match. But I'm just saying, if you start early and you do the math and you're saving 15% total, chances are over 30 years, that's going to be a lot of money mm-hmm. and you're going to be in pretty good shape. Now, I mean, obviously, you got to invest it well. You know, you, you got to invest it in the stock market, a good stay portion invested. of it. Got to stay invested. There are other pieces to the puzzle, but that's a great sign, though. If you're doing that, you're, you're probably doing the other things, too, mm-hmm. in general. Um, so it's a starting place. You know, I mean, you do have to save for other long-term goals, right? You got to save for college. I mean, you got to save for, you know, the, the unexpected expenses. Um, that's part of having an emergency fund, which, by the way, is yeah. our number two item there you go. on the list. Number two. So here we are, leading right into number two, is having six months' worth of expenses in an emergency fund. Ouch. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people just don't have this covered. It is not, it's like not having any medical insurance at all if you don't have this. I mean, eventually you're going to need it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have any emergency fund, then there's no doubt you're falling behind each month and you're building up credit card debt. Yeah, I think we've said that either you have an emergency fund or you'll have credit card debt. The average person, like we said earlier, has yeah. 16000 in credit card debt, which means they probably don't have an emergency fund. Yeah, you, nobody has the perfect budget that just balances every month, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you're either falling behind or you're getting ahead. If you're getting ahead, you build up an emergency fund, you're falling behind, you build credit card debt. It's typically one or the other. You need to have that emergency fund. It needs to be fairly liquid and some kind of savings at a bank, maybe in a conservative investment that can be sold easily. Um, you know, and, and it needs to be there. So when the car breaks, your house needs repairing, uh, medical bills come due, you, you lose your job, you have six months' worth of expenses saved up that are readily available for that. 
I mean, that's the building block for any good financial plan. Yeah, this is probably the the, the top one. This is that's the base. Exactly right. You got to have this in place. Otherwise, you know, we see people that don't have this either have credit card debt, or they'll go and rob their four hundred one k's. Right? Yeah, they'll they'll exactly, loan. That's take exactly loan right. It is critical. Okay, so that was number two. Number three on the list is having less than two and a half times your income in total debt. And along with that, less than 25% of your after-tax income in debt service each month. Mm. Okay, so that's kind of how you measure whether your debt is healthy or not, whether you have two and a half times, less than two and a half times your total income in debt um and in total debt and less than 25 percent of your after-tax income goes towards servicing that debt Mm -hmm. okay now keep in mind i mean this is good financial health i mean you'll hear numbers that are higher than this this is uh you know not the absolute limit but banks they'll loan you more money than this oh absolutely um but this is if you're going to be in great financial health this is kind of our measure you know and this is a, a a kind of a given standard measure out there. Um, you know, it means that if, if you have $100,000 of income, then your total of all your debts would be $250,000 or less, right? Mm-hmm. And it will be decreasing, John. It's not increasing, okay? It's not just staying level. You're paying it down. So that's kind of the high watermark, okay? And so this is a critical pulse of your health because if you have more than this, you're in danger of your income going down, and then all of a sudden you can't make the payments on that. Yeah, and, and these are the highest levels. I mean, these should really be decreasing as you get older and, and paying things off. You should be making progress towards your goals. And you also don't want to allow your household to stay at these levels for too long. It's kind of like having, you know, borderline blood pressure issues and um, never do anything about it. So these right. are just some 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 uh, marks or targets to, to shoot at, and then you should be going down to zero debt at some point, right? Exactly, exactly. you got to be on the path to getting it paid off. All right, so that was number three. Number four here on the list is having a retirement plan in place and knowing that you're on track. Okay, I can't tell you how many people we sit down with that just have nothing. They're just getting started with, I mean, they just, and they waited to their 30s or 40s, really, to mm-hmm. get started. Um, and they have no clue, you know, how much they have or where it's going. Um, so if you don't have anything in place, you know, th- then how can you possibly know where you're headed? Right. I mean, it's like having a long going on a long trip, you know, without a map or GPS today and not have any idea how to get there. Um, You'd be driving around in circles. I can't imagine taking a long trip today without a GPS. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you just got to have that. You could always pull out one of those old timey maps. My, can you imagine? My kids have no idea what. Yeah, can you imagine map? using those? You used to have a whole glove box full of maps, hey, you know. Yeah, that's right. Hey, honey, give me the uh, yeah. Kentucky map. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think we're getting ready to cross the line here. You know, you had no idea how far it was. You're just guessing how many miles it was. That was our. That was tough. I mean, GPS has made the world so much easier. <laughs> well, you know, this is your GPS for getting you to retirement, right? Is is having a retirement plan, having a plan, knowing where you're at. I mean, you need to know where you should be at age 45, age 50, age 55 to be on track. You know, if you have a hundred thousand dollars of income, you might need to be north of five hundred thousand dollars, maybe a half million at age 50, unless you have really good pensions. 
Yeah, and, you know, Social Security and pensions, um, you know, we see changes to those, Steve. We see headlines daily. Um, Probably not going to provide the future like they do for today's retirees. Um, Pensions are certainly being phased out, and there's talk about changes to the Social Security system. We'll see what that looks like. But, you know, with companies phasing out pensions and the U.S. debt issues, uh, you really have to take responsibility for saving enough. I mean, counting on the government for this stuff is not a good plan. No, it definitely isn't. Okay, so that was number four, having a retirement plan, knowing that you're on track with that. Number five is having excellent diversification in your retirement plan and your other investments. Um, This one's easily overlooked, John, because, I mean, diversification's gotten to be one of those abused phrases that tends to lose its meaning. Just because you own 10 mutual funds doesn't mean you're diversified if the funds own the same type of stocks and bonds. Mm -hmm. You know, they're all going to go down together, and and they may not come back for 10 years. Um, So you need to have six to ten different asset classes represented with thousands of stocks represented. Yeah, that's right. And also, um, you shouldn't use funds that have a high turnover rate since they may not stay diversified. And they're trying, basically trying to time the market. So look at that piece of it. And it doesn't matter if you're on track with retirement, if your investments collapse and don't ever recover because you're not diversified. So this is this is probably one that most people haven't really thought about. But uh, this can ruin. I mean, you know, I've it seen people ruin, yeah. come in with a whole bunch in one stock. Right. When you're talking about changing your retirement plans. That can change overnight. Yeah, I mean, this is the glue that kind of keeps the whole plan together. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be diversified. It's got to be protected. So, yeah, so there are the five uh, points again. I mean, it's just like going to the doctor for a yearly checkup. You need to know where you stand for good financial health. That means that, you know, saving 15% a year of income um, is one key. Having six months of, a, of expenses saved up in an emergency fund is another key. Also, knowing that your debt is, is always below two and a half times your gross income, um, as well as below 25% of your after-tax income used for debt service is critical. Um, if you have all those in place, and along with excellent diversification in your retirement plan, and knowing that you're on track, then the chances are you're in pretty good shape, and you're going to you know, need an occasional checkup to mm-hmm. be sure. Um, that's what we do. you know. So give us a call if you'd like to to um, have the money doctors take a look at your uh, your situation and see if you're on track with these five areas. But if you have questions also, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. All right, that leads up to our break. Um, but, again, if you have questions, email us at info at moneymd.net. We'll be right back at these messages and GNN News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local fighter. And we are continuing our uh, discussion here, um, leading off our second segment with the question of the week. Yeah, this question we get uh, pretty frequently when we sit down and have these checkups that we kind of talked about is, and the question has to do with life insurance. And, and it says, when I retire, do I need life insurance? And That's a good question. It is a good question. There's not a a generic answer that meets everybody's needs. But, you know, I I sat down with a client um, last week, Steve, and, you know, I looked at their situation, and um, they had net worth north of $2 million. And he had a a $50,000 whole life policy with $35,000 of cash value in it. 
and he was paying two or three thousand dollars a year on it. That fifty thousand probably does not change his situation. That no, so no, that's kind of a that, nothing. That may be a candidate for you know looking at closing, um, right? You know, right. and trying to do something different with the cash and not having to pay two or three thousand dollars out. So. It depends on your situation, how many assets right. you need, um, you know, how much debt do you have is another certainly factor in the in the equation. Yeah, I mean, obviously the main purpose of life insurance is to protect your survivors, right? Yes. So, you know, somebody with $2 million, um, your survivors are probably going to be in great shape. Yeah, be so, okay. so it's probably not needed there. Having said that, I mean, life insurance is also a great estate planning tool. Mm-hmm. You know, so for somebody in that situation, they may be thinking about estate planning and how to pass that income on to their kids or how to pass those assets on to their kids, how to minimize taxes. And, you know, there aren't many other good ways to uh, to, to save money, to, to safely accumulate money um, immediately and hold it and then leave it to your kids totally tax-free. Yeah. yeah. And that's what life insurance does. Yeah, there, there's some. There's certainly some uses for it. Um, obviously, with the, the estate tax exemption up in the, the 5 million range, it's going to be limited cases. Um, but uh, Yeah, and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, avoiding estate taxes. Yeah. I'm talking about just the income tax part. Sure. You the, know, I mean, if you're – so, you know, it, it depends on what you're trying to do. I mean, if you're putting – Money inside of a trust, oftentimes funding it with life insurance. There are lots of different things life insurance is good for. Having said that, um, yeah, I mean, it, the main purpose of life insurance is to protect your survivors. Mm-hmm. That's different for everybody. Yeah. Depends on pension, Social Security, the whole picture. Debt levels, things like that. Yeah, exactly. All right. Great question, though. Okay. And that leads up to our next topic here, and that is um, an article out of Forbes. Mm-hmm. And it's titled, Gurus Achieves an Astounding 47.4% Accuracy. That, that's amazing. That's pathetic. <laughs> they could flip a coin, Steve. I Come mean, on, really. I was being sarcastic, John. I mean, you could play <laughs> with me John. here. <laughs> I, mean, you know, I mean, 47%, hey, you know, hey, that's better than 25%. Turn was, off the news. If it was multiple choice, it'd probably only be 25%. <laughs> you know, Steve, okay. this, is, um, this is really interesting. I mean... You know, we get you and I get questions from clients all the time about, hey, this headline came out, and this, you know, uh, you know, fifty percent of the time, someone's going to be right and somebody's going to be wrong. So yeah. you can't make. Bottom line is, I'll go to the, the the bottom line here. You can't make decisions off the news. Really? All right, you want to go to the next article? <laughs> all right, we'll yeah, stick. Let's... We'll stick with this one. Really? I mean, you t- all those guys on you know CNBC and all the talking heads on all those shows, you yeah. know Fox News. You know, business news included. I mean, they had a list in this article of all the names they tracked, and, and yeah, um, it was a lot of them. I was Jim, surprised how big the list was. Jim Cramer is on here, and he's actually a little bit shy of the forty-seven point four percent accuracy. No, he did, so he didn't quite get to half half a fifty percent so, right. Boomyow, boom worked too often. Jim, <laughs> you know, they say you're boomyow pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, the results are in. And and they are pretty bad. I mean, this this uh, group, CXO Advisory Group, tracked 68 experts, and they looked at 6,582 market forecasts. So Scott. over 6,000 different forecasts from 68 experts, and they concluded that the average market prediction offered by the experts have been below the 50% accuracy. So flip a coin, and your odds for predicting the market are actually better than all these talking heads out there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is pretty pathetic. And, you know, it's amazing to me that you look at um, 
this list here. And yet there are a couple of them that were up around the 70% range, but then there's a whole bunch of them that are down below 30%, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I mean, the middle, like you said, is, is right there at 47%. Um, you know, I mean, these are people that supposedly they're saying they can beat the market. Yeah, you know, it's hard to imagine that that the average market expert is isn't able to at least match the track record of a coin flip. But it's true. I mean, we we see, like you're saying, we're looking at the data here, and a lot of a lot of big names on here. There's, you know, Jim Cramer was on here. There was another guy, Jer- Jeremy Grantham, um, Mark Faber, I think, is on CNBC, S and P Outlook. I mean, there's a lot of Top names on here that you know do worse in the coin flip. Now you're right; there are a couple that are above the uh, the fifty percent threshold, but it's just and just ba- turn off the news. And basically, they're comparing this to to beating the market, right, mm-hmm. with their predictions, mm-hmm. right, or yeah. with their with their uh, returns if right. they're managing money. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty pathetic, you know, and we've seen this before. I mean, we've seen Dalbar studies mm-hmm. that show that the average investor ends up. Um, you know, several percent below a market rate of return over yeah, 20 years. Absolutely. Because of the market timing. Um, and so if the experts can't do it, I mean, it goes without saying that neither can the average person. I mean, yeah, I mean, some of the gurus, they dropped out of the race here along the way, too. I mean, their records just stopped at the last prediction. Um, other gurus cited reasons for their lackluster performance. You know, they made up excuses, basically. I mean, so this is a, you know, a very recent report and um, the final tally of the Guru Grade project. And this proprietor, uh, Steve Lecompte, he, he doesn't even see a practical reason for continuing this study. <laughs> yeah, he says we got to so stand bad. here. He says the point about inaccurate market forecast. As as shown again and again and again, yeah. Yeah. it's persistent and basically it's permanent. Yeah, what saying. you know they looked at this, Steve, from 2005 to 2012, and they looked at these 6,500 forecasts. Um, they looked at 68 experts, bulls and bears that employ technical, fundamental, and and sentiment indicators. And um, you know the oldest forecast went all the way back to 1998, but they basically selected public records that are found on their websites of the gurus, um, and maybe on the websites of other parties like business media and so forth. So they didn't cherry pick. They looked over you know a seven seven year time frame, 6,500 different forecasts, and um, again the names on here. I was you know I was surprised because um, a lot of these folks are out there. You know, and bottom line is, is I mean CNBC does have some good information. I watch them because I want to see what my clients are watching. Right, right. right. But it's entertainment. Um, that That's it. You know, people forget what the financial news media is there for. They're there to sell ads. Mm-hmm. You know, they're there to make money. Like, you're, you know, at your job to make money. And, and they're not trying to give you extraordinary information. I mean, they would if they had it, but they don't have it because it's not out there. Um, I mean, they're, they're trying to... They're trying to, to, to be entertaining. They're mm-hmm. trying to, um, you know, trying to pique your interest well, in tuning in their show. And Jim Cramer does that. I mean, he does, oh, has yeah. all the bells and whistles and the boom yowls and all that stuff. But oh, yeah. he doesn't look like he's done very well predicting, um, which, no. you know, and so as we look at this, um, first of all, some of these people are going to be right on their predictions because we see markets do fluctuate. They do go down and they come back up and there's always different reasons. So, some of these people are going to be right in their predictions, but most of the time they're wrong. Um, so can't. kind of the moral of the story is don't employ one of these market timing 
type people. You know, yeah. anybody that's out there picking stocks, timing the market, somebody that they, if they claim they can beat the market, yeah, that that's a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. Okay, if they claim they can just equal the market, that sounds more reasonable. Okay, I mean, of course, an index fund can equal the market. Yeah, you know, a better plan, like you're, like we're talking about, is is to, you know, kind of what we've talked about here. Get a retirement plan. Get the right mix of of stocks and bonds in there that suit your risk. Understand some of the downsides historically. Go back and look at 2008. I mean, we saw, you know, in in recent uh, conversations on the on the show here um, that those who try to time the market, uh, Morningstar did a a, a study. And they missed. They they underperformed the average um, mutual fund by two to three percent per year. Right. So you know, stay invested. You know, do some rebalancing. Have good diversification, um, and turn off the news. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. Don't make your investing decisions based on what you're seeing on the and news. Plus, when things do get scary out there in the market, you know, whenever the whenever we go through one of these little downturns. That's the time really to not turn on the news. Yeah. Because those guys are going to be ginning that up, you know, mm-hmm. trying to gin up your fears. And they're going to be talking about all the worst things that could possibly happen. Because, again, they're trying to, to be, you know, they're, they're trying to be, uh, what's the word? I mean, they're just trying to excite you. Yeah, and then you'll hear a lot of ads for for gold and and a lot of annuities exactly. talking about all the downturns and you know the the facts are over time um, the markets have made you know nine ten percent return through the ups and the downs that's historical and so we don't know what's going to happen in the future but markets have done well historically and and you know a lot of times driven by capitalism so that's exactly right so when things get really scary just turn it off. Don't open the stupid envelope, as I've said before, yeah. you know, when it comes in the mail. And if you're working with an advisor, call them up. I yeah, mean, that's that's exactly. one of the values we, we offer to our clients is talking through and rationalizing and, uh, you know, looking yeah, at the Yeah, get some perspective. That's get, right. I like to give people perspective on, you know, the big picture. Exactly. Okay, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break, or actually we're starting a new um, topic, and that is an article about how DFA, Dimensional Fund Advisors, um, has done pretty well. Has done pretty darn good. But, you know, Doing we're going to start off here, though, first with the prescription of the week. You're excited we? about that article, aren't you? I am, man. I like this stuff. You know, this is, <laughs> anytime, this is good. Anytime we talk about DFA, it's um, it's something that we, we know well. So the prescription of the week is um, talks about insurance, uh, not life insurance, but this time uh, getting an umbrella policy for additional protection. And, you know, when you, when you buy um, car insurance and homeowner's insurance, you have some liability protection. You can get up to, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Typically, umbrella policies are sold in million-dollar increments. And so you can get a a million-dollar umbrella policy that kind of lays over the house and the car for a couple hundred bucks a year. I mean, it's pretty inexpensive. Yeah, you know, I mean, your your homeowner's insurance typically carries $100,000 of liability protection, Mm -hmm. right? So, uh, you know, if you have less than $100,000 of assets, you probably don't need an umbrella policy mm-hmm. because 
you know, nobody's going to sue you for, you know, assets you don't have. Right. Because um, attorneys, you know, they charge fees and they kind of like to get paid. And you really? know, there's no chance of them getting paid if they're yep. suing somebody that doesn't have any money. Yep. Right. So so the point here is, I mean, umbrella policy is a great thing to have. It's pretty cheap insurance. So if you have a million dollars in assets, no doubt you need an umbrella policy to help protect that. Um if you don't have any assets, it's probably not something you need. Sometimes people buy insurance mm-hmm. that they don't need. Yeah, yeah. And um, very good point. So just you know, just, just a, think another layer. Yeah, another layer of protection above the the homeowners and the the car insurance because we do live in a litigious society. No doubt we do. So if they think you have deep pockets, <clears throat> they, somebody may come after you. Yep. All right, that leads up to our next topic here, and let me just um, and this is about DFA. The title is DFA beats Bogle, Grantham. Um, they all beat Buffett, the analysis says here. Um, and this is pretty interesting. And, you know, DFA, Dimensional Fund Advisors, they're a fund group that is out there. It's an institutional fund group. We use them in our mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having said that, um, you know, this is an advertisement for them. I mean, we, you know, there's lots of articles written out there about DFA. I encourage people to go out and Google them, you know, read the articles yourself and get a perspective on what DFA has done and, mm-hmm. you know, read their perspectives, the prospectus for their funds mm-hmm. um, before you invest. Um, past performance is no guarantee of future results. You know, they, they mentioned some returns in here um, in this article. Well, you know, that doesn't mean a whole lot about the future. But sure. having said that, uh, DFA has a unique approach, and over this time period, it definitely worked, right, according to this article. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and, and perhaps uh, there's a gentleman out there named um, Eric Nelson, um, and he measured uh, Warren Buffett and Jeremy Grantham and, and John Bogle uh, and kind of compared them to the DFA approach. And, and Eric Nelson um, is a DFA fan. Obviously, that's why he did this. He's a, uh, Nelson is a CFA and a registered investment advisor uh, out there. He analyzes the, the relative merits of asset class investing, um, with uh, most particularly with value-based and small-cap tilt. That's associated with the uh, the DFA brand, and and I agree, Steve. I think you know going out and, and doing some research on DFA their website. They have a lot of information out there. You can go take a look. And um, you know, in his current post, Nelson's current post, he uh, compares asset class investing, um, combining assets. Um, you know, by setting up um, some some known proxies on these various approaches. And to stand in for the active management, he looks at uh, Warren Buffett and specifically the Berkshire Hathaway Class B shares. And for tactical management, which he's comparing against, Nelson brings in Jeremy Grantham's uh, GMO Global Asset Allocation Fund 3, and that ticker symbol is GMWAX. So he's just kind of looking at... You know, these are some big names out there. You know, DFA has an institutional approach, and it's just looking how how Buffett did and and uh, how this other tactical management uh, guy did as well. So, did you notice Grantham was on this list that we were yeah, just looking I did. at? I did. Yeah, he was below the fifty percent mark too. Yeah, so that's right. <laughs> it's interesting. Just saying, right? Yeah, we're just saying, just pointing that out. Um, yeah. Um, you know, if the pros can't get it right, then uh, the wealth manager, Eric Nelson, um, asked, you know, what are the chances the do-it-yourself will, right? <laughs> I mean, representing the uh, the indexed approach is Vanguard's balanced uh, index admiral shares, which is a 60-40 stock-to-bond mix um, portfolio that John Bogle recommends for his own family, which is, you know, yeah, I mean, so that, that kind of... Points to he really believes in it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's a pretty good mix as far as the, the stocks versus bonds. And then for asset class approach, Nelson uses a globally diversified 60-40 stock-to-bond portfolio made up of seven DFA funds mm-hmm. that he lists here. Um, whose stocks tilt towards small value and whose bonds are, are short-term, high-quality, and global, mm-hmm. which is probably very similar to our portfolios. Mm-hmm. You know, we use a, a very similar approach. Yeah, and over the, the 10 years um, that this study was done, uh, Buffett's returns were the lowest, um, 6.3% roughly, and uh, that's of the, it's the per Berkshire. Year. It's per year. Per year. Annualized. Yep, and um, in the the market mayhem back in 08, um he had one of the, the the worst approach of the four approaches, which was down down uh, about thirty two percent. So, you know, certainly um, you mentioned earlier that 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 um, Buffett believes in Vanguard index as well. But you know, Nelson also noted that in the ten year period, uh, witnessing two two bull markets and the worst bear market since the depression. Um, in other words, you know, there was some fruitful environment for tactical management. So he's kind of throwing a jab a little bit at Grantham. Um, Grantham's fund took some risk and produced some returns, nearly 7% that matched the index fund. But their their 2008 results uh, were similar, losing, um, you know, roughly 20% respectively. So looks like um, Grantham did a little bit better than what Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway B shares did during that time frame. Yeah, and so the punchline here, the DFA portfolio, on the other hand, bested the whole bunch with a 7.8% return per year annualized, um, nearly a percent above the the GMO portfolio and Vanguard, and and 1.5% points above uh, Buffett, um, which was... Which which had similar losses in the 2008 uh, period, which was down 22.9 percent. So, you know, but over the long period, yeah, I mean, one and a half percent. That's a that's a huge win mm-hmm. for DFA compared to what Buffett did. And you know, wow, I mean, Buffett's a pretty renowned oh, uh, sure. guy out there. But Nelson notes that this superior performance came during a decade not particularly favorable for asset class investing. Um, since global diversification offered little benefit and was a drag on performance in 2008, and because short-term quality bonds underperformed in a falling rate environment. So it wasn't a very good period for index-styled mm-hmm. asset class investing that DFA is notable for, but yet they still beat beat uh, these other yeah, the ones he looked at. Funds, yeah. right. And, and he also he goes on to say that it probably uh, is the greatest testament to an asset class approach that it still worked despite the fact that not all of its central tenants were working. Um, the asset class investing proponent concluded that uh, what has worked in investing is what works in investing. Uh, obviously, that's his opinion. Um, asked by Think Investor if the asset class investing superior approach is less favorable um, you know, environment implies a likelihood of an even better results in the next 10 years. Nelson quipped, uh, there, there may be something that's going to work better, but you're not going to find out until, you know, after the fact. So again, I, you know, I think, um, you know, we do use DFA and, and certainly go out and look at DFA's prospectuses for the funds and the websites. Uh, past performance is not indicative of what the future results are going to be, but you know, we like DFA and the way they approach things. Um, there's certainly a lot of different approaches and you have to make sure you pick one that kind of suits your style a little bit. You know? Yeah. I would encourage people to go out and, and Google DFA, Dimensional Fund Advisors, look at all the articles and the research that's out there. I mean, cause they, they've been written up a tremendous number of times, you know, in Barron's and mm-hmm. Morningstar and, you know, in Forbes and places like that. And there's lots of articles 
I explained their their philosophy. And, you know, I, I do feel like the next 10 years is going to be favorable to an asset class, you know, investing index, asset class, mm-hmm. fund type investing approach going forward. Um, because, like you said, we've been through the most turbulent period you could possibly imagine of the last 10 years. Yeah, it's been, you know, it's been so, I mean, two major, major bear markets in the last 14 years. And uh, worst one in the last, you know, since the Great Depression, just, you know, five or six years ago. And yet, the, the we, we've seen in both these studies, the, the, the articles we just looked at, the tactical managers don't beat the market. Mm-hmm. You know, they haven't even equaled it over that time period. Um, so if they can't do it in that environment, yeah. how are they, po- you know, how in the world could they possibly do it yeah. when markets were more normal? Yep. That's right. You know, so uh, it's a good, good article. Yeah, it really is. So good article. Go out there and do your research. All right. Well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Tune in next Saturday from nine to ten a.m. There are more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website moneymd.net and email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call at Richard Young Associates during regular business hours at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.